The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Thursday edition of the Mackling and McGarry 680 CJOB Morning Show podcast. Mackling is back next week. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about ALF. That's right, the alien life form. Gordon Shumway from Planet Melmac. Warner Brothers seriously contemplating rebooting ALF and bringing him back to your television. So we'll talk about what other characters from our childhood might we want to see come back to TV. Small town salute. We're going to Lac du Bonnie for the Fire and Water Music Festival. BBC Travel has put together a wonderful gallery, a wonderful feature about Manitoba's own Gimli as we get ready for the Icelandic Festival and the title of this feature, An Icelandic Legacy in the Heart of Canada. And Trouble in Zimbabwe as protests continue over the election there. We'll speak with a Zimbabwean community leader and get his insight into what is happening on the other side of the world. Has anybody seen the yellow ribbon? I don't know. What color is it? Ha! Yeah! I killed me! Admittedly... That particular clip wasn't all that funny. But you might want to hide your cats because Gordon Shumway could be flying back to planet Earth. The 80s TV series ALF is being rebooted by Warner Brothers. ALF, which is short for Alien Life Form, was about an alien from the planet Melmac who lands his spacecraft on Earth and is taken in by a nice family, constantly reminding him not to eat Lucky, their family cat. So we're having coffee talking about a character from your childhood. Maybe you'd like to see resurrected, but first, Shanley, I have to ask you because I know you're a fan of Alf, but how could you be a fan of a character who likes to dine on cats? I know, it's, it's quite a quite a conundrum, isn't it? It's funny because I had have not watched the ALF show since I was a child, since it was on the air. Yeah. And so I would I don't know if I would feel differently about the show now with his cat eating habits though he did not eat any cats during the show he did not eat the family cat yeah he tried but he, he, he tried failed. but i think um at that time uh i we, i didn't we didn't actually have a family cat yet okay and so maybe i was so excited just to see a cat on tv oh <laughs> that i like the show i don't know but i think i i think i might feel a little conflicted now but Perfect. i'm i'm happy that uh, we never saw any cats being eaten so I, like I was watching uh, uh, clips of Alf earlier, and there was one where he was putting kittens on a sub sandwich. Uh, I guess his his efforts were thwarted. But, but I think that's the funny thing is like because you know nobody would put kittens on a sandwich. That's that's what makes it hilarious because yeah. nobody would dare to eat the family cat. Come on, you know. Yeah, the audience was very quiet while he was doing that. I don't think they knew quite how to react. Now, Kelly. Or maybe I should, should I let you, Jeff, ask Kelly about no, right. what character he'd like to see from his childhood? Bearing in mind that Matlock is dead, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I was walking down the hall, I thought, oh boy, am I ever going to get it this morning? <laughs> well, what did you, what kind of characters did you like when you were growing up, Kelly? Well, I remember the friendly giant was, uh, you know, Rusty and Jerome and, and that crew there. I, I I didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. So no? because Well, just because where we lived, there was no TV, there was no radio, there were no newspapers. So okay. we were really in a remote part of British Columbia. So I, I it would have to be, you know, later on in life. And uh, so I guess 
I, I don't know that it's a real uh, pet type of character along the same lines as Elf, but I, I always loved Lassie. I thought uh, that was a great show. So I don't know if that qualifies or not, but, you know, that's I, that's what I'm going sure with. Sure it does. And actually, yeah. are there any dog TV shows? Like, yeah. there, there was Rin Tin Tin that and Last yeah. Little Sobo. But are there any, like, current television shows about dogs? I don't think so. That roam the land. And uh, there, there, there's there really current TV shows because they're all coming back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we might, well, hey, maybe we'll see another Lassie. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Uh, I, honestly, my favorite growing up was Fred Flintstone. So I, there hasn't been a Flintstone cartoon in 30 years or longer. They should, why not reboot that? Yeah, Cartoons are true. easy to reboot. They did the DuckTales and people seem to like that. And they did a couple of Flintstones movies. Yeah, I, I think, think there's a Jetsons movie too. I think too. there's still like new Scooby-Doo every now and then too, movie form. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That well, or Mr. Belvedere, but I Oh, Mr. I do, Belvedere. I don't know if he's still alive. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about Mr. Belvedere. Saved by the Bell. You wow. like Saved by the Bell? Now, I totally you, forgot about that, actually. Now, would you like to see Jeff Forte Saved by the Bell with the old characters, or would you like to see a new Saved by the Bell? Oh, well, I'd like to see what the old characters are up to, but... Where Zach's a principal now, and Screech is a janitor. Is it Screech in jail? I think so, yeah. Uh, an ex-con janitor. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, one of the shows that I really liked when I was growing up was The Muppet Babies. Yeah. Do you remember The Muppet Babies? Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, it was a good cartoon uh, because it was it was also like educational. Wouldn't they like was travel it? the world and they, they'd go back through time, if memory serves, so you'd learn about all sorts of neat stuff. But it was masked. By the fact that it was a cartoon, it was a Muppet, so I didn't, you know, I didn't stop watching it because I was learning things. So they appeared. I, I, I remember watching it. I guess I don't remember at all what it was about, though. Yeah, I once there was a, a Christmas special too. You like the Muppets, Kelly? I I like the uh, the old guys up in the balcony. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember what their what their names were, but Stadler uh, and Waldorf. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I thought the and and the Swedish Chef. Yeah. One of my all-time favorites. Uh, I tell you, nothing made me laugh more than the Swedish Chef when he got going with the food flying all over the place. Oh yeah, no that. Yeah, just thinking about it makes me want to chuckle. But there was one Muppet special. It was a Muppets Family Christmas, I think, is what it was called, or something like that, where the Muppets were there, Sesame Street was there, Fraggle Rock, and even the Muppet Babies appeared in actual Muppet form. It was the one time the all the Muppets were together in one special. What about uh, Chandelier? Do you remember? Disney's Gummy Bears. Oh goodness! Now, now I have the theme song in my head. It's a great theme it song. Was, but it was, it was, it was, it was kind of dis- It was, it was fun, but it was also disappointing because, like, I remember the gummy bears that you want to eat, and yep. they didn't look anything like that. <laughs> and, and I expected them to eat gummy bears, but instead they're eating these gummy berries. But I guess that would be kind of wrong if they're eating gummy bears because then yeah. they're kind of it's like cannibalism. Yeah, and did they it was, did they drink a juice or something that made them really bouncy? Yes, because they like the like the mom or the grandma bear. I think. She would make this special gummy power juice and make them have superpowers. They'd bounce around and, yeah. Do you think, Jeff, since they've rebooted DuckTales, that we're going to see this sort of cavalcade of rebooted 80s and 90s Disney cartoons? Well, why wouldn't they? Because that's so, it it seems like it's so much easier, you know what I mean? Yeah. All you need to do is find voices, and that's really easy to do in Hollywood. Small Town Salute. 
which is brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. SouthBeachCasino.ca. This week, we are heading to Lac du Bonnie, just an hour northeast of the edge of the city, for this weekend's Fire and Water Music Festival. And our guest, we're going to bring him on in a moment. He is one of the musicians at the festival. Jeffrey, if you please. All the things that you take are like the money they make. Replace it with a broken heart. His name is Patrick Alexander. You're hearing some of his music right now. And he joins us now live on 680 CJOB. You can just let that go for a little bit, Jeff. Patrick, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us today. So first of all, where are you from? I live in Winnipeg, uh, Wolverine area, Pacific, and I grew up around uh, St. Anne in La Brokery. Okay, so it says on their website at fireandwater.ca, fireand, the letter N, water.ca, that you are a good friend, a longtime friend of the Fire and Water <laughs> Festival. How long have you been a friend of this festival? Over 10 years for sure, yeah. The first time I ever played there would have been with uh, the F-Holes, a band that I've uh, played with over 10 years now. Sorry, what would, what did you call them? The F-Holes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> now get your mind out of the gutter. The F-Hole is that F-shaped hole on the upright bass. Ah, oh, okay. Yes, I, no, I don't know what you're talking, what you're implying there, uh, Patrick. It's a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the association with this festival begin? Um, I, I'm not sure they, I think uh, we had reached out to them when they were a young festival and we were a young band and uh, we just kind of grew to get together throughout the decade, I guess. So if someone has never been to the Fire and Water Music Festival, what can they expect when they go out there? Uh, beautiful weekend. <laughs> um, you know, for me, uh, as a musician, the Fire and Water Festival has always been kind of a a bit of a summer camp for uh, the musicians of Winnipeg and uh, Western Canada and even Eastern Canada too, of course. Um, Whereas, you know, for us, we we kind of fly by night. We don't see each other a lot. We don't get to go to each other's shows because we're always playing shows. And so uh, when August comes around and and we get to the Fire and Water Festival, it's a time where we can all just kind of get together, have our little summer camping adventure (laughs) and uh, see each other next year. How many acts, how many musicians will be performing during the three-day festival? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Looks like almost a couple of dozen, I think. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, two and a half days of, of music, full full days. So, uh, yeah, definitely a couple dozen. Now, I also see that uh, they they have uh, chainsaw carving at this festival. Have you ever done that when you've been at the festival? I've never done it myself, no. Uh, my sister has, but uh, no, uh, uh, I definitely watch these guys. It's incredible what they can do. It uh, doesn't particularly make me want to try it, though. <laughs> really? But you say your sister tried it. Yeah, yeah, my sister and my brother-in-law have done it. Yeah, I'm just looking at the website, and they do some amazing carving. I can't believe this is done with a chainsaw. I just see that kind of as a, a, a blunt force object, but clearly I'm getting an education. I see there's a, somebody's carved out a bear. Uh, so Lac du Bonnie, just in general, I mean, I like to head out there. There's a golf course not far from there called Granite Hills, which is just spectacular. Yeah. It's such a nice spot. What is it about Lac du Bonnie that you enjoy? Um. Well, like I said, I've got uh, 
like ten year history going there, and people just always treat me really, really well there. It's, it's kind of a, a an oasis for me in Manitoba sometimes. Um, but it's it does have that feel of um, I don't want to call it a tourist town, but you know where it gets really bustling in summer, and and then all of a sudden you go in winter, and it's nice and calm and just uh, really kind of a, a two uh, two tier kind of situation for the town. Uh, which I always really appreciate that kind of style, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just gorgeous out there. I mean, you can't can't argue with that one. I guess. <laughs> if you want to attend the entire festival, can can you go camping? Can you camp out there? Absolutely, yeah. They've got camping just uh, basically attached to the festival site here, and uh, it's just in town, just on the edge of town. So you've got all your amenities real close. The liquor store is just across the, the road. <laughs> That's handy to know. That's very good information, Patrick. <laughs> so what kind of music? Uh, we just heard a, a sample of your music, but how would you describe the music that you bring? Uh, for me, I'd say it's, it's blues and roots. Uh, yeah, that's the best way to describe it, I suppose. I play upright bass myself and sing, and then uh, guitar and drums on top of that. and We just try to give it as, as hard as we can. Okay. Well, hey, Patrick Alexander, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about the Fire and Water Music Festival. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Patrick Alexander. Once again, he says he's been playing with a band called the F-Holes. And no, it's not that. Not that I thought that it was that either. He said it was uh, something that appears on, a, on an instrument. And if you go to fireandwater.ca, you can see the full schedule. There is free kids shows. Uh, kids are going to love, let's see, Seanster and the Monsters. There's a Japanese tea ceremony. There's all kinds of stuff to do here. Like I said, they've got that chainsaw carving too, and it looks crazy. But the the, the schedule of music is quite incredible. So looks like it's going to be a nice long weekend. Lactibani is a nice spot to go. If you don't want to do the whole camping thing, like I said, if you want to go golfing, you can go to Granite Hills. There's another course out there called Black Bear. It's a nine-hole course. Lots of stuff to do. And you can even see the one-laned bridge. That's right. There's a bridge that only has, that only has one lane. So there's a traffic light on either side to stop you for like five minutes at a time while traffic goes through. It's the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen. But it's also one of the nicest parts of the drive heading out there, at least towards uh, Granite Hills. But yeah, I just love going out there. So once again, Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. From BBC Travel, and the headline here is An Icelandic Legacy in the Heart of Canada. Oops, there's some, and I'm trying to, there we go, something happening with my computer here. Almost 1,000 years after Leif Erikson first stepped foot at Lanso Meadows, Icelanders returned to North America. Today their traditions live on in a Canadian Prairie Town. So there's it's a it's a gallery. And I've also linked this gallery to the 680 CJOB Instagram. There's video and there's 
an interesting quote here. She sees a hall standing fairer than the sun, thatched with gold at Gimle. There shall trustworthy people dwell and throughout all ages enjoy bliss. From the Voluspa, a Nordic epic myth. My apologies if I'm not entirely sure how to say Voluspa. Voluspa? Forgive me if I'm, if I'm off. So I'll just read you a little bit here. It's bright and early on a Saturday morning, and the Ship and Plow Tavern in Gimli, Manitoba, is already packed with football fans watching Iceland take on Argentina in the World Cup. Wearing Viking horns and blue jerseys, there's no doubt who the home team is. Gimli, a tiny town of just more than 2,000, is the heart of New Iceland in Canada, a region that boasts the most, the most Icelanders outside of Iceland. Located about an hour north of Winnipeg, the town was founded by Icelandic immigrants in the late 19th century. It's a legacy the descendants of these first pioneers are still proud of. Living in this community, it's around us all the time, says Lorna Turgeson, who along with her son, Stefan, runs Turgeson's general store in Gimli Center. The store was founded in 1899 by Stefan's great-grandfather, an Icelandic merchant. And then on the next page, there's a video that features a handful of people from Gimli, including a commercial fisherman, a 95-year-old daughter of Icelandic immigrants, and Stefan Turgeson, owner of HP Turgeson General Store. So here's just a couple of minutes of that video. Originally founded in uh, 1899, it's when the store first opened, my great-grandfather came over from Iceland. Uh, and then he came up to Gimli because the Icelandic settlement was here and he saw it come up, saw some land, saw some opportunity. And he really helped build the community by being a mayor for a while and stuff. And uh, during the depression, the store carried a lot of people's debt through a long stretch of time. But uh, it was a matter of you know, wanting to build this community. That's a big one. When the Icelanders came to settle here, Gimli was the perfect spot for fishing. It had the perfect conditions, a nice little bay. They could fish close to shore, out of, out of the shelter of the wind. There wouldn't even be Gimli if there was no fishing. It is very important to me. I, I, I think that I've been to Iceland one trip. Would have liked to have gone again. And, and my grandchildren children and grandchildren have all had to, so they have a, still have a very close contact with their heritage and, and uh, we want to keep it that way. It's uh, sort of in our heart. <laughs> when I started out fishing, I was a little kid. Started out with my dad and his friend in the wintertime. It means a lot to me to carry on these tra fishing traditions and Icelandic traditions. I've passed the traditions on to my children. And I, they, they know how to do everything when it comes to fishing. They can work in the shed, they can work on the lake. They're, uh, they'll, be pat they'll be following the tradition themselves, I'm sure. The project right off the bat for me was saving the old building because, you know, it, it, uh, I think when they built it, they didn't really plan that it was going to maybe even last as long as it has. Uh, so when I took over the roof leaks, every time it rained, I would have to come down and put plastic out all over the merchandise and the uh, foundation was caving in in some places and we had an ancient old heating system. 
Yeah, it's really a labor of love. I mean, I could have probably knocked the building down, put a new building here for half that, and then made a lot more money in the long run. But it, that wouldn't mean anything. You know, this is the, the fact that we're carrying on uh, the traditions, that we're preserving the history, you know, a little piece of Canadian history here. So once again, that is a video from BBC Travel, who has done a feature on Gimli as we head into the Icelandic Festival this weekend. And as you continue in this gallery, which is titled An Icelandic Legacy in the Heart of Canada. And it says in the Norse mythological text, Gimli is a pagan heaven, a golden roofed hall where the survivors of Ragnarok or Armageddon spend their afterlife. And heaven is what the land now known as Gimli must have seemed like to the first Icelandic settlers when they arrived at Willow Point, a peninsula jutting out from what is now Gimli Harbor, on October 21st, 1875. Located along the southeastern shores of Lake Winnipeg, the area around Gimli was rich with timber and the lake promised ample fish. The land had been given to the settlers by the government of Canada, and since it was not yet part of the province of Manitoba, they were allowed to govern themselves. This unique political experiment offered Icelanders who for centuries had lived under Danish rule an opportunity to build the society they wanted. Just nine days after arriving, before they had even built shelter, the townspeople wrote of their intention to open a school, and within two years they had established their own newspaper and constitution. So it just goes on and on. There's, this is like, I'm on page four right now. It goes up to page 15. So just an incredible feature from BBC Travel. So once again, if you want to see it, I have linked it to the 680CJOB Instagram, or you can just shoot me a text or an email, brett at cjob.com, and I will get you the link. We want to talk about the tensions that are running extremely high in Zimbabwe as the country uh, continues to await results of the election there. Opposition supporters clashing with police, army troops in Harare yesterday over delays in announcing results from the presidential election, the country's first since the fall of Robert Mugabe. Zimbabwean authorities say the military will remain deployed until this situation is over. Ottawa is urging Canadians in Zimbabwe to avoid all travel to the central business district and to explain to us more about what is happening in Zimbabwe. We are joined live on 680 CJOB by Tao Chimwanda, who is a graduate student at the U of M and a Zimbabwean community leader. Mr. Chimwanda, hello, sir. How are you? How are you doing, sir? Oh, got to turn on. This, that microphone sometimes turns on and sometimes doesn't. This time it didn't. I'm sorry about that. Good to see you again, Tao. We had a great conversation with you when you came to see us in the fall. Yeah, it was nice. It was, it was last time when I saw you. It was actually good, like, you know, that I, we came and we talked about those kind of things because I felt like some people were not sure, like, what was happening in Zimbabwe. Well, and I think there's probably still a lot of people who are curious to know what's going on. So I guess my first question to you would be, why is there protesting right now? Okay. So I would say first, I would say like, you know, um, I have to denounce what is happening in Zimbabwe with the military using, uh, you know, guns to uh, suppress a protest. I think that shouldn't be happening in a, in a country like Zimbabwe. Now, coming to your question, why is this happening? So what has been happening is like after the election, people have been waiting for results. So what has happened is like the result hasn't come out, the actual presidential um, result. Uh, the 
uh, parliamentary results, they've come out and the ZANU-PF has won three quarters of the uh, seats in the, in the House of Parliament. But the, uh, the presidential, nobody knows what, what the result is. So people are getting impatient. And uh, especially Zimbabwean people, because um, of the history of Zimbabwe for the past 37 years when uh, uh, President Mugabe was in power, they have been exposed to being, uh, re- um, elections have been rigged and all that stuff. So people, I can see why people are impatient and they are also, you know, not happy to just like they feel like they are being rigged again. So I see why people will be, you know, not happy. That's why they are protesting. What do people generally think of President Emerson Munangagwa? From what like from what I see, what has happened with um, with the um, parliamentary elections, he has won most of them. So I would I would say people in Zimbabwe they seem to think that. Um, this is a new ZAN-PF. They seem to think there is hope um, that can be, there are good things that can come out of this new uh, uh, ZANU-PF. So that's what I would say. But also there is a segment of population of Zimbabwe which also thinks this is not enough change. They still think that the same ZANPF that was being led by Mugabe is the same ZANPF, is the same ZANPF that is being led by uh, our current president, uh, Mr. Mnangagwa. So those that segment of the population is not trying to give uh, them uh, a new chance. So so that's where the the dynamics are. Like that that's what is happening. Like you know, so people are thinking, well, is this a really new party, or is it the same old? you know, just pretending to be something else. So that's the opposition. Then you have people also who have said, you know what, this um, President Mnangawa, he took us from what was happening when Mugabe was in power. He took us from there, and now we have a new government. So they are thinking, let's move on. Let's give the man a chance and see what happens from there. So how long have you been in Canada, by the way, Tal? Uh, Almost like eight years. Eight years? Yeah. Why did you come here? Well, the political situation in Zimbabwe wasn't so great at that time, so that's why I moved to Canada. So though that that was the contributing factor of you know um, uh, that's that's why certain people would even vote for opposition because they are thinking like you know all these things that has been happening in Zimbabwe, the economic turmoil, the political uh, suppression, and all during the Mugabe reign that actually made most of Zimbabweans move from Zimbabwe to go to other countries. That's what people are thinking. Well, how can that be changing now that we have a different guy who is within the same party? Tao Chimwanda is our guest. He is a graduate student at the University of Manitoba and a Zimbabwean community leader here in Winnipeg. How many members in the Zimbabwean community here? In in, in, in Winnipeg? I, I would say like it's probably over um, maybe... 400 or 500 okay. um, uh, Zimbabweans who live in uh, Manitoba. And they are very worried about their families, especially with what is going on in Zimbabwe. Do you have family back home yes. in Zimbabwe? Yeah, I still have family back home. Which wh- What is interesting is that also is that like the election itself was very peaceful. The election was peaceful. So the only thing what has happened is like the after the election, the process after the election, the release of the results and all that stuff. That's that's what has created this turmoil. How many uh, members of your family are still back in Zimbabwe? 
Um, I'll say, you know, like an African family, I'll I'll have lords, I have cousins, I okay. have yeah. So it will be it will be a huge number. You know, there are some people who are relatives that I probably might not know, but they are still my relatives. So there's a huge population of my relatives who still live in Zimbabwe. And are they safe? Um, all of them, they are safe. All of them, they are safe. And all of them, what is also interesting, all of them were very actually say, they say the election itself was peaceful and the process itself was very good. It's only the, 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 the fact that the results were, in, they are not being released in time. That's the problem. So it's after the election, after the voting, which they are actually complaining about. But otherwise, the election itself, they saw, they said it was peaceful. So what do you think the, about the fact that the, the re- results are, are not coming out yet? Do you fear that it's just the same old, same old? Like you personally? Me personally, I think we, we are in a different chapter. So I think I think we have to give the, the, the government, um, you know, I think personally, I think, you know, uh, uh, President Mnangagwa has to be given a chance to uh, prove himself. And I think he is trying to do that. And even today he, he spoke to the opposition to try to, you know, to quell the the turmoil that is happening in the country, like to say let's address this. So I think, in a way, I think we are moving in the right direction. But I see why Zimbabweans will be frustrated because for past thirty seven years their vote has been suppressed. They have been brutally suppressed to ex- to stop from expressing themselves. So in a way, they are you know unsettled by uh, what is happening. It's like, are we doing this all over again? Or did we actually get real change? But the thing is, like, with anything, you have to also give it a little bit of time. Because since the coup, it's only seven months. It's only seven months. And the system which was there in Zimbabwe, the system of election, that was a system that was being used by Mugabe. Right. So you can't I don't expect Zimbabwe to have changed that much in seven months in terms of the electoral system or structure itself. So I think. Based on that, I think uh, the current president should be given a chance. But that's the that's my opinion. But I think uh, Zimbabwean people, they are very peaceful nation. They are very peaceful people. I think they will make the right decision. Tao Chimwanda is a graduate student and Zimbabwean community leader. We have to leave it there. But thank you so much for visiting us again. Uh, we love it when you come and see us, and we hope you come see us again. Thank you for having me. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.